Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. In Scripture, it says that Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw God, and he saw Jesus standing next to his father, looking at him, which was confirmation that in this moment when Stephen is dying, he saw Jesus. And that was exactly what I needed to hear so that I could know that when whatever was happening to Molly, that she knew that he was with her. And that in an instant, from the moment she was alive to the moment she died, she was in the arms of Jesus. And and that's what I carried with me to help quiet the fears that would come up in my mind. She wasn't alone. He was with her in that moment, and she has been with him ever since that moment. Doxology Bible Church is proud to present EverStory, launching wherever you listen to podcasts on June 6th. EverStory is a weekly, seasonal podcast featuring Christ-centered stories of hope and transformation, told by people just like you. No chit-chat, just raw, powerful stories. Stories inspire us to connect with each other in real, tangible ways. With stories, we're able to glorify a God who relentlessly pursues us. Mark 16:15 tells us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Stories embody who we are as Christians. Without them, Paul's letters would have never been shared. Without stories, a person with Christ in their heart might never find the courage to bring the word to their neighbor. Without stories, the Great Commission never occurs. Check in with us often as we introduce stories about the way Jesus' radical love is moving in truly awesome ways. Find EverStory wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, follow Doxology Bible Church on Facebook or Instagram at Doxology Bible. Want to share your story or know someone who might? Send us an email to stories at doxology.church. Because everyone has a story. Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. It's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. Well, good morning, Doxology. Hey, it's great to worship with you guys this morning. Thanks for inviting us into your living room again or your patio or your dorm room. Hey, college students, welcome back. Hey, wherever you're joining us from, it is great to worship with you today, even while we long for a day when we don't have to say that with air quotes. We're working on some ways to make that even more possible pretty soon, and I can't wait to share some of that with you. In fact, go ahead and mark off September the 13th. That's a Sunday. That's a Sunday that you won't want to miss. Look forward to a really big announcement sometime this week, September the 13th. 
This morning, go ahead and grab a Bible and meet me in John 16. John 16. If you're just hopping in with us today at Doxology, we've been in a series for the last several weeks walking through what's called the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus has literally just a few moments left with the people that have been following him for three and a half years. They gathered together for a meal and now they're walking towards a garden where their whole world is about to go upside down. John makes sure we know as we're reading, it was night. And he's not just talking about the time of day. Looking back, John realizes they were walking into a world that would totally disorient them. It would test everything they believed that would put stress on every relationship they had. Sound familiar? That's why this section of scripture is so important for us. Jesus spent these last few moments trying to prepare people like us for a world like this. And remember, not just to endure it, to influence it. Remember, he tells them how to do it. But he shows them first. And that's the thing we sometimes miss in these stories. Like most of us are familiar with the story of Jesus washing disciples' feet. A bunch of us have heard Jesus' illustration about the vine and the branches. But we forget or we never noticed. They're all a part of one message that Jesus gave. See, he washed the disciples' feet as his opening illustration. A demonstration of how a person lives in a world that's killing them. Remember? He allows himself to be inconvenienced. He lays aside his rights and his privileges and his preferences. And he stoops to meet a need that's beneath him. Even meeting the need of a mortal enemy. And then he looks at all of his disciples and he says, This is how I want you to live when I'm not physically present to do it for you. Remember? And the guys go, Wait, not physically present? What? And they start freaking out. So Jesus says, John 14, stop freaking out. I'm making you a promise. I'm sending you help. God the Spirit is going to be with you and in you and live through you wherever you go. And then he answers the next logical question that comes up. How do I do that in a world like this? That's what Jay talked about last week. Jesus says, stay connected to me. Like a branch that stays connected to the vine. Find your life in me. And you'll bear much fruit. Well, today we're at the very end of the sermon. Jesus says some final words, and then he closes in prayer. He gave an illustration. He gave an explanation. And now he's going to give us some really specific application. What does Jesus expect to see when it's night in the world? And the world looks at me. In fact, look at the very end of John chapter 15, verses 26 and 27, what Jesus says. He says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify. It's a word that means witness. What's a witness? A witness is somebody who sees something or hears something, experiences something, is willing to talk about it. He will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. Jesus says, I'm sending you towards the dark with the power of God present with you. Not just to endure the night, but to influence the night with light everywhere you go. So here's the question for today. What in the world does that look like? How specifically does a follower of Jesus stand out as light in a world like ours where it seems like the light's gone out? Because come on, let's be honest. We've all seen what it's not supposed to look like. 
We've all seen angry, judgmental, hateful, bigoted, argumentative, condescending Christians who look nothing like the Jesus they follow. Okay, we don't want to be like that. But on the other side, we've seen passive, weak, chameleon kind of Christians who don't stand for anything. They look exactly like the rest of the world. We don't want to look like that either. What does it look like to testify? What does it look like to be a witness of Jesus in a world that looks like ours? First part of 16, in a world where people hate you, where it's hard and uncomfortable and even dangerous to follow him. Look down at verse 7, what Jesus says. He says, but very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now notice that. He's not just sending the Holy Spirit to go to work on the world, in the world, independently. He says, I'm sending the Spirit to you. The Spirit's going to do his work in you and through you to people who are connected with Christ. Okay, now let's be honest. The whole idea of the Holy Spirit freaks some of us out. Some of you grew up in churches or you had friends that went to churches where the Holy Spirit showed up and that meant all kinds of weird things got totally out of control. Some of us grew up in traditions where we didn't ever talk about the Holy Spirit at all. It's like we were afraid he was contagious. If we talked about him, we might catch what all those other churches had. Here's our question. What does Jesus expect it to look like when the Holy Spirit shows up to you in a world like ours? Well, keep looking. He tells us, verse 8, He says, when he comes, this is what he'll do. He'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people don't believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Jesus says the advocate is going to come to you and do his work through you. And it's interesting, the word advocate, the word testify from chapter 15, then the word advocate here, and the word translated prove to be in the wrong are all courtroom words. But maybe not necessarily in the way you might think. The idea isn't the Holy Spirit's going to come and work through you as you prosecute the world for its guilt. Okay, the idea here is of a cross-examination. And I love that idea. The role of a cross-examiner is to poke holes in a story, right? To find places in a narrative that just don't connect, that don't make sense, that don't follow logic. And to point them out in a way that a logical, rational, truth-oriented person would be able to determine what's truly true. So Jesus says, when the Spirit comes... He's going to empower you to be an expert witness who gives convincing evidence so that a rational, thoughtful, truth-oriented person can see a truer story than the one they may have heard or the one they may have told themselves. You see that? And in some specific ways, right? Write down attractive holiness. Attractive holiness. Now, those are two words that we don't really use together, do we? I mean, most of the time when we think about something that's holy or someone that's holy, we think about holy rollers or people that are holier than thou. Sort of an off-putting term. That's not the idea of the word. To be holy simply means to be set apart in a way that stands out. And in the Bible, it's always designed to be in a way that's attractive, that draws people in. And if you look, Jesus gives three ways the Spirit wants to empower our life to stand out. 
and draw people in. You see him? Through you, he wants to show a different narrative about sin. Why? Look at verse 9. To prove the world to be in the wrong about sin. Why? Because they don't behave. Except that's not what he says. He says, of sin, because they don't believe in me. See, sin is anything in our life that tries to find life with a capital L outside of Jesus, right? From the very beginning, man and woman in a garden, they eat a piece of fruit. You ever wonder, what's the big deal about fruit? Well, it wasn't about the action. It was the intention. They were trying to find life with a capital L disconnected from the life giver. The same thing is the story of our whole world. Jesus says, you live differently. Not just because a different story is necessarily just wrong or bad or evil or immoral. It's all of that stuff, but not just that stuff. Don't live that way because that's not a life that leads to life. That's a life that leads to guilt and regret and brokenness and despair. Isn't that where it ultimately leads when you live it? Jesus says, live a different story, a different narrative. Not a perfect life, but a life that recognizes where sin, life, apart from the life giver, leads. So that you're quick to confess it and own it and seek to make it right. Show a different story in the area of sin. That's what Jesus says. But attractive holiness is not just about what we avoid. You see, it's also about what we pursue. Jesus also says, show the world to be in the wrong about righteousness. Because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more. Jesus says to these guys, I've shown you what it looks like to be right with God. Remember at the very beginning of his public ministry, God the Father says of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus says, I'm going to the Father. You show people what it looks like in person, in real life, to be a beloved son or daughter of God in whom he's well pleased. The kind of strength that comes from that identity, the kind of courage and integrity and everyday confidence and humility and patience that comes from knowing you are who God has declared you to be. Jesus says, I've shown you that, but I'm going away. You show it. And then show them about judgment because the prince of the world has been condemned. See what Jesus is saying? He's saying, live like a person who believes you're going to stand before God. That this isn't all there is. That the opinion of people around you isn't nearly as important as the rewarding stand in front of you. Refuse to live like this is all there is. Or like the outcome of God's plan is in any kind of doubt. Right? Stop freaking out when you look at the world. God has not lost his throne or left his throne. And you get to live in that world. So live, Christ follower, like you live in that world. See, here's what Jesus is saying to his followers, to you and me. When things go bump in the night, you've got to shine as light, but not just any kind of light. Here he's saying like a street light. Show the way home. Jesus says that's what fruit looks like. When you're connected to me, and the light shines bright, people in the world who are living in the dark ought to be able to see to find their way home from whatever story they've been living in by the way you live near them. doesn't mean they'll always choose to come home. In fact, he goes on to say, you're going to have some people who rejoice when you know they ought to be weeping. But that's not your concern. You stay close to me. 
You allow the Spirit to empower you so that the world can see their way home through the things that you avoid, through the one you pursue, and the direction that you've aimed your life. That's thing number one, attractive holiness. Live like a streetlight so people can see their way home. The second thing is this. Look at verses 20 to 22. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but... Your grief will turn to joy. A woman given birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And so with you. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Write down irrational joy irrational joy. Notice the first part. Jesus pretty clearly puts an end to the idea that if you just have enough faith, you won't ever have problems. He puts an end to the idea that you won't ever go broke, won't ever get sick, won't ever face tragedy. He sort of says the opposite, doesn't he? You're going to grieve. You're going to have anguish and hard times. But your grief will turn to joy. So if attractive holiness is like streetlights that show the way home, here's what irrational joy is. Irrational joy is like headlights that show the way forward. See, Jade defined joy for us last week. Someone once said joy is like the flag that flies over the castle of a heart that announces the king is in residence. And look here at the illustration Jesus uses. I love it because it shows what joy is, but also what it isn't. See, joy doesn't just come from denying that pain exists or pretending that life isn't hard, pretending that we don't hurt. Joy isn't delusional. It doesn't pretend everything's okay when everything is clearly not okay. Jesus talks about a woman going through labor. I had the chance to watch my wife do this three different times. And here's the thing. She hurt. It was hard. It was painful. And when that baby was born, come on, moms, the pain didn't magically stop then, did it? Like the pain doesn't go away just because the baby's born. Here's what happens. The pain that's present gets eclipsed by the presence of something or someone even greater than the pain. And that's what Jesus is promising. The kind of life he says to look for in yourself, if you want to know if you're bearing fruit that's connected to him, it's not that you live a life without problems or pain. It's that as you endure them, you're able to look like him. Remember how he did it? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, even while despising its shame. He was clear about the agony he suffered. But for the joy set before him, he endured it because he was certain that what was still in front of him was still in front of him. He says that's what the Spirit can empower in you. He'll remind you there is no threat, even with this threat. No failure, even in this failure. No accusation, no guilt, no pandemic, no disease, no circumstance that could possibly overcome me. Because Jesus is with me. And he walked through it first. And because he walked through it first, he will bring me through. See, the opposite of joy isn't sorrow. It's not sadness. You can be filled with sorrow and filled with sadness and still be filled with joy at the same time. Jesus was. The opposite of sorrow 
The opposite of joy is hopelessness and despair. Jesus says, you don't ever have to be hopeless. You don't ever have to be in despair. Trust me and show them in the Spirit's power. Last thing is this. Look at verse 31. The guys go, I think we're starting to get this, Jesus. Like, no problem. Your sermon's starting to make sense. We get it. We believe. Look what Jesus says, verse 31. Jesus says, do you now believe? Verse 32. A time's coming, and in fact, has come, when you're going to be scattered, each to your own home. You'll leave me all alone, yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. I've told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Write down unshakable peace. Unshakable peace. Remember, a couple of weeks ago we said peace isn't just some kind of warm, fuzzy thing where you somehow feel good about bad things happening to you or nearby you. I've got a peace about it kind of peace. That's not the idea. All throughout the Bible, peace, shalom, refers to the state of a person whose life is tied off to the immovable, unshakable promise and person and presence of God with us. Okay, can I give you an illustration? You ever watched a really great ice skater skate? When they start to spin faster and faster and faster, and then they come out of the spin and they skate off in a straight line, have you ever thought, man, how do they not get dizzy? Like, it would take me two rotations. You can forget about me skating. Like, the Zamboni's going to have to scrape me up off the ice, right? Okay, you want to know their secret? It's something called spotting. Here's what they do. They pick a spot where they fix their focus, a fixed point right in front of them. And if you could slow the spin down in slow motion, you'd see they keep their eyes on that spot as long as they possibly can and then whip their head around as fast as they can and find the spot as quick as they can again so that when the world is spinning around them like crazy, it doesn't make them dizzy because they have their focus fixed in one place. That's the idea of peace. Okay, so Jesus invites us to be streetlights to show the way home, headlights to show the way forward, and here he's inviting his followers to shine like spotlights that give the right focus. You ever been to an elementary school play? You have any idea what it was about? Yeah, I didn't think so. You know why that is? Let's agree that there are probably several reasons why that is, but you know one of the biggest reasons you don't know what the story was about? as you're sitting there in that elementary school cafeteria watching a billion things happen at the same time, you see someone talking over here, someone's dancing over here, or maybe they have to go to the bathroom. You don't know, right? The kid that's supposed to play the role of the tree is laying down right over there in front of you. It's absolute chaos. And in an elementary school cafeteria, there is no way to follow the story because you don't have a spotlight to show you where to look. That's what Jesus is saying. One of the clearest ways you can influence the world where you live is to redirect the spotlight to him as often as you can through the Spirit's power so that people near you can follow the story. What's the story? In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus says, I'm the way home. I'm the way forward. 
Fix your focus on me. The world may be spinning, but you don't have to spin with it. I've got this. I love you. I'm for you. I'll show you. Just trust me. Stay connected to me. And I'll give you all the power you need to be exactly who I've called you to be, to bring light to a world where it's night, where people are disoriented and lost and afraid and confused and where God feels awfully far away. Come on, doxology. What better time to live like this than now? It's one of the reasons I'm so excited about this lemonade idea that Gary talked about earlier. Who is better positioned to lead your neighborhood out of the darkness that we feel today than a person that's connected to the life of Jesus with the Spirit's power, who is committed to the life and the safety and the flourishing of all of our neighbors? We ought to be able to to lead the way in how to do this, right? Not being dumb and throwing coronavirus parties or being unwise or cavalier or showing a lack of concern for people's health. The total opposite. People who care too much about our neighbors to jeopardize their health and who care too much about our neighbors to let them try to find their way home or try to find their way forward or try to find their way out all on their own doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's not. It may not go well. It may not feel successful. All throughout this discourse, Jesus says a lot of times it won't feel like any of those things. But that's not your starting point, and that can't be your quitting point. Your responsibility isn't to save the world or to carry the weight of the world or to clean up the mess in the world. Jesus says, that's on me. I've got that. You just show and tell the way home. Show and tell the way forward. Shine the spotlight on me so that people can follow my story. Trust me. I'll empower you. I'll be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you wherever you go. There is no better time to reflect the light than days like this when things go bump in the night. Will you bow your head with me? Maybe this morning you realize you don't have the power to live that kind of story because you've never connected with Christ. You can do that this morning. When you chose sin, and all of us have, when you tried to find life apart from the life giver, the life giver didn't give up on you. Jesus came to the earth to live the life you should have lived, and he volunteered to die the death that you deserve to die, to take your judgment and my judgment on himself. He's done everything necessary for you to be set free from sin and to be right with God, and he invites you to trust him. You can do that right where you're at this morning. Simply tell him, Jesus, I want to be connected to you. I'm trusting that your death counts for mine, that your promise of life was made to me. I believe you, and I'm trusting you with me today. Father, for all of us who have been set free from the penalty of sin, would you let us live with this kind of power in the place that we live? Would you let us be people who show the way home, who show and tell people what we've seen, what we've experienced, what we've heard, so that they can see a way forward, and most importantly, so that they can see you every time they look at us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church. Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. 
you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church.